want to speak this morning on fear, uh, coming against fear. <laughs> there you go. Christians should be able to do the ejection seat and not fear, praise God. I'm going to be preaching out of Romans chapter 8. We'll get back to the book of Hebrews probably next week, pick up our, our study having, after having taken most of the summer to discuss one verse. Um, but I wanted to use this morning to discuss something that is, I think, uh, very pervasive, probably a lot more pervasive than we realize, and that is Christians struggling with fear. My prayer this morning is that we would leave here with a, an understanding of the confidence and the fearlessness that we can have in Christ. Romans chapter 8, and I'll read verses 15 and se through 17. Paul says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the, that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Let me read verse uh, 15 again. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear is a form of slavery. And the spirit that we have received, the Bible says, is antithetical to that spirit. Second Timothy says something similar in chapter 1. I'll just read it, starting with verse 7. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice or a spirit of fearfulness, or it could be translated timidity. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Don't be ashamed, therefore, of the testimony of our Lord and of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have told us that your word, the truth, shall set us free. We shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. And Lord, I just know how fear can be such a constricting force in our life, and it, it, it is the opposite of freedom. And Lord, I know that you died in part to set us free from the, from, from the bondage of fear. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as your word goes forth, it would just melt chains of anxiety and worry and fear that don't come from you and chains that come from the enemy, Lord. And I pray that your word would bust them. Lord, I'm not strong enough to bust them. I'm not persuasive enough. I'm not eloquent enough. There aren't words that are eloquent enough to bust those, Lord. It's by your Spirit that these mountains must be removed. And so, Father, I pray the power of your Spirit would anoint these words, however ill-founded they, they come out, however mumbled they may be, Lord, you can use them to do your kingdom work. And that's what matters, Lord. So you be glorified. I step aside. I give you the responsibility to do that. And Lord, help us to have open minds and open hearts to get a picture of what we can be in you. To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In your name we pray. And all the kingdom warriors said, Amen. Fear is a real pervasive thing. Um, I don't think there's a person in this room right here who doesn't, to some degree, live in fear. 
to some degree, to some level of intensity, some of the time. We live in fear. We fear a lot of different things. But all fear, I want us to see this, all fear, I'm not talking here about normal godly caution, but fear that grips you. It is a life-stifling emotion. It does not produce anything positive. It just detracts from the quality of our life. It's antithetical to the way that God created us and the way that Jesus Christ saved us to live. Fear is the antithesis, the opposite of all of the fruit of the Spirit. It's impossible to manifest the fruit of the Spirit to the extent that you're living in fear, that your life is controlled by anxiety and worry. You can't have the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, if you have fear. To the degree that you have fear, you don't have joy. You can't rejoice in something and fear it at the same time. You can't have the peace of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that is peace, but also have fear at the same time. The two are opposites. You can't have the spirit of love, the fruit of love, which is a fruit of the Spirit, and also have fear. You can't love and fear the same person. That's why the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. You can't be walking in the joy and the power and the peace and the victory that God has purchased for us on Calvary and, and have fear. Fear constricts the flow of the Spirit in our life. It's a life-negating emotion. It stifles us. It, it, it squelches our creativity. Where there is fear, to the degree that there is fear, there's paralysis. You don't move because you're afraid of moving. And things that you could enter into... Areas that God might open up for you, job opportunities that might come your way. You're addicted to security because you fear the unknown. And so you live your life at a level that God would not have you live it at. You get satisfied with the status quo instead of having this kind of adventuresome, risk-taking, abandon that God can give us. So often we settle for mediocre relationships because we're afraid of speaking the truth. We live in fear of that. In fact, the Lord's just been dealing with me on that issue, peeling back the onion a little farther. You can get so used to fear that you don't even know you have fear. And the Lord has revealed an area of my life that I was living in fear with, an area that kept me from being as vulnerable as he would want me to be, that kept me from being a risk taker, that kept me to some degree from speaking the truth when I needed to speak the truth. So you settle for relationships that aren't as open and vulnerable and real as they ought to be. Why? Because you fear rejection or whatever it is that you fear. You guard it. You protect it. You live in a mode of security and a mode of safety instead of being out there. Fear is a life-negating emotion. It also breeds failure. Fear, in its essence, is rehearsing for failure. People who fear rejection, they tend to operate in such a way that people end up rejecting them. People who, who fear criticism end up getting criticism precisely because they fear it. People who fear failing tests, they end up failing tests, or at least not doing as well on them, because they're choking. Fear constricts you. You just can't be the out there child of God that God would have you to be if you're living in fear, if you're never taking risks, if you're overly cautious. You can't live out the, the, the life of Jesus Christ to the extent that you're living in fear. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. How do you live as a disciple of Christ if you're just knotted up about tomorrow, 
about your finances. Some people fear finances. They're afraid of financial failure. Some people fear their children. What are their children going to turn out like? Some people fear for their safety all the time. Some people fear about their marriage. The spouse is going to leave. Or, and it goes on and on and on. Some people just have irrational phobias. They fear going outdoors because they think that buildings are going to fall on them. And, or they fear driving because they're sure they're going to get in a car wreck. Or they're afraid of flying. Or they're afraid of uh, the claustrophobic. They're afraid of enclosed you know, places. Some people are afraid of germs. They, they wash their hands compulsively because they're afraid of getting sick. Some people just live in the fear of death. Some people live in the fear of hell. They never get the victory in just knowing for sure, for sure, for sure that they're going to heaven. They live in fear of that. What I want us to see this morning, first and foremost, is this. That is not of God. God came to set us free, and the first step in getting that freedom is to understand that you don't need to be there. As I said a minute ago, you can get so used to your fear, so used to your worry, so used to your anxiety, you identify with it. It's just part of who you are. You're just a nervous person. You're just a fearful person. And it becomes part of, uh, of the way you think about yourself and therefore part of your lifestyle. And you can't even conceive of living free from it. If you can't conceive of living free from it, you'll never live free from it. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is this. You don't have to be there. You can be free of fear. The Lord came in part to die to save you from that fear. He's not given to us a spirit of fear, the Bible says. He doesn't want us to be in that bondage. He didn't come that we might be all knotted up with worry. He came to give us the truth, and he says the truth shall set us free. Amen? You don't need to be there. And yet believers frequently live in a state of fear. They live in a state of fear. How do we begin to walk in, 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 uh, in fearlessness and in boldness? How do we begin to manifest the truth that Christ died to set us free from fear? Let me first talk about what I think is a very wrong answer, and then I'm going to give a couple of things that I think will help us move into this. First of all, there's a teaching out there that says this. The believer can be free from fear because they believe that God has promised us that nothing bad will ever happen to us. You don't need to fear, this teaching says this, you don't need to fear sickness because God, they think, has promised you that you'll never get sick. So if you just believe God, you'll never get sick. And God, you don't, you don't, you don't have to fear uh, being in poverty because God, they think, has promised you that you'll never be in poverty. If you just have enough faith, you won't be in poverty. If you just think positive enough, you won't be in poverty. So don't fear poverty. And they think that God has promised you that your marriage is going to stay solid no matter what happens, so you don't need to fear divorce. And God has promised you that your kids are going to be on track, so you don't need to fear them growing up and not walking in the right ways. And so on and so on. Fear is a matter of convincing yourself that nothing bad is going to happen to you because you think that God has promised you that. Sometimes it's called a word faith teaching. And so people just walk in that. Now, let me just say a couple words about that. It's, it's a very pervasive teaching, and, and I think it's so important that we get a handle on it. Number one, if you believe that, here's my worry. Here's my, beyond a theological debate, I worry about you. Because I've seen it dozens and dozens of times that this teaching can backfire. And when it backfires, it's a vicious backfiring. If you believe that you're never supposed to get sick, what happens when you do get sick? One of two things. Either you get mad at God because you think God broke a promise, or you get mad at yourself and you start blaming yourself because you think you didn't have enough faith. What happens when it's your job that blows apart and now you don't have an income? What happens when you lose the house? What happens if you come down with cancer or your wife comes down with cancer or your kids come down with cancer? You say, oh, that will never happen because uh, I, I just believe God. 
But you think every person out there who's ever had tragedy happen to them didn't believe God? Do you think that they just lacked faith? And sometimes they say, yes, well, if they just had enough faith, they wouldn't be in a wheelchair. But when it happens to you, it is catastrophic. I knew a young man at the age of 21, three months before he got married, a vibrant youth worker, broke his neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. And that was a nightmare. That was just a nightmare from the word go. There's no other word for it. That is a terrorizing nightmare. But what made it even worse was this. He believed, because his pastor told him that if he had enough faith, this wouldn't have happened. But now that it happened, if he had enough faith, he could get out of the bed and walk. So he's sitting there trying to give himself enough faith to do it. To add psychological torment to physical misery. Look around, look at the world, you see. It, 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 does it really line up with that? I mean, we don't want to take our theology from experience, but one of the things you've got to do is ask, does this fit reality? It's a very Eurocentric, American-centered, capitalistic-centered kind of a teaching. It flies real well over here because people like this security. I mean, this is an easy sell. If I could convince you that, you've got a guarantee that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you until the age of 75 or whatever it is they tell you. And once you're 76, it's gone. But... Uh, well, mass an easy sell. People want that. It gives them a sense of security. If I can convince you that God wants us to be wealthy and prosperous, whatever, we don't need to feel guilty about having 17 homes when other people are starving. Hey, we're just getting blessed. But go try and preach this doctrine in Calcutta or in Bangladesh or in Haiti. It doesn't fly so well. I don't know why, but it just doesn't seem to catch on real well over there. You see... And are you going to tell me that they don't have faith? Well, go and walk with these people. You want to see faith. We walk with some of the believers in these countries. They've got faith. They just don't need the toys like we do. The other thing is that it's just not a biblical teaching. They, you can pull out verses of the Bible and, and uh, make it sound right, but here's what they basically do. They go to the Old Testament, which is in a different covenant altogether. They were more this-worldly centered in the Old Testament. But the other thing they do is they frequently pull out verses of the Bible that are poetic. Now follow me on this. One of the ways that they spoke in the Old Testament, and to some degree in the New Testament, this is just a Jewish thing. They didn't have exclamation marks in their, in their writing system. So the way that you'd put an exclamation mark or an emphasis in any statement was to make it universal. Okay? Or, 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 or you say it in an exaggerated way. Jesus says, if your hand offends you, cut it off and cast it from you. Don't do that literally. But he's saying, this is really an important teaching. That's what he's saying. Unless you hate your mother and father and mother for my sake, you have no part of me. Well, don't go around hating your mom and dad. But he's trying to draw the contrast. You should love Christ more than your own family. So also, when the Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed out begging for bread. That doesn't mean that if you're righteous, if you have enough faith, you're always going to be rich, you'll never go hungry, da 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 because there are righteous people who do go hungry. It is giving you this teaching that if you're walking right with God, you're going to have much less of a tendency to end up on the street because walking, walking right with God usually pays. But it's not like a universal promise that you can hang on to and thereby judge everybody who's out on the street begging or who's in a country where they're starving to death. The Bible says if you raise up your children in the ways of God, they'll never depart from them. That's a good truth. But it's said in an absolute way in order to drive home the emphasis. But the children of godly parents still sometimes walk away from God. They've got their own free will. God doesn't turn them into robots. You maybe know, I know, godly parents whose kids do leave the Lord, at least for a time. It doesn't mean that they weren't godly parents. The rule, as a general rule, is still there, but you've got to be careful on how you apply it. So it is with a lot of the promises of the Old Testament. They take these statements and they apply them and they try to make unconditional guarantees out of them. But it just isn't biblical and it doesn't line up with experience. The other thing is this. 
It directly contradicts New Testament teaching. The two biggest passages that speak against fear in the Bible are the ones we read this morning. Romans chapter 8 and uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Notice this. Both of them talk about not having fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And both of them mention suffering right afterwards. Did you notice that? The Bible never tells us that Christians won't suffer. In fact, it tells us to expect suffering. The good news of the gospel is not that we have a nice guarantee that life will be a bed of roses. That's not the good news. That doesn't happen. The good news is that even when life isn't a bed of roses, the believer doesn't need to fear. Because the good news is that we've got something that is so great and something that is so marvelous and something that is so powerful and something that is so wonderful that even when life really reeks, we still don't need to fear. That's the good news. It's much greater than having a bed of roses. But suffering does and can happen to believers. How then, if in fact there's no guarantees, if in fact there's no guarantees that life's going to go real well for us, how is it that believers here this morning, us, can live with a sense of fearlessness, a sense of being free about the worries of tomorrow? How can we do that? Let me just give a couple of ways. I'll give three. The first way is this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it is that Christians can be free of fear in a world that is torn apart by spiritual war. I don't know how it is that Christians can live totally free from fear in a world where there are really, on a physical level, no securities. But I do know this. We do it. And the reason we do it has nothing to do with any reason I can give you. If I could give you a reason, if I could give you an explanation for it, it wouldn't come from God. But see, it comes from God. Paul simply says God's given to us a spirit that doesn't fear. God's given to us that. And it's of God, and it's supernatural, and you see that it's of God, and you see that it's supernatural precisely when everything on a natural level tells you you ought to be freaking out right about now. You ought to be going through a nervous breakdown. You ought to be on your fourth nervous breakdown. I mean, you're in the middle where it's just hitting the fan. It's all over the place. Relationships are falling apart. You're all, brains all screwed up. The finances are all crazy. Maybe the kids are rebelling. And in the middle of that, you all of a sudden discover, because the Bible tells you that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He, he hasn't given you a spirit of bondage to fall back into fear. And there in the middle of the hurricane, there is peace. There in the middle of the hurricane, there is joy. There in the middle of the hurricane, there's the fruit of the Spirit. There in the middle of the hurricane, there's the absence of fear. Someone says, why are you so calm? There's nothing in the natural world that you can point to. Well, I'm so calm because I got it all organized. I got it taken care of. I'm on top of the world. No. There's a peace, a fearlessness that is there because God Almighty dwells within us. And God does not fear. He puts his Holy Spirit. That's not a second-class God. The Holy Spirit is God Almighty. We're talking supreme being. We're talking creator of the universe. We're talking ruler of all things. His spirit is within us. Woo! His spirit is within us. And that means that the confidence of God is within us. The peace of God is within us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. What you've got to know, believer, is this, that the, the thing that God has for us isn't the cheap sort of peace that the world gives, which is simply the absence of conflict. Finances are going relatively well, so we're not worried. 
That's, that's a shallow kind of a peace. What God's talking about is the kind of peace that's there when you're about ready to get fed to lions. He's talking about the kind of peace that is there when you're facing the fire. He's talking about the kind of peace that is there when things are blowing apart. It is really possible. We need to start to understand the fullness of the salvation that Jesus Christ died to give us. And stop restricting God and limiting God and boxing God in by our puny little brains. So often we listen to our minds when our mind says, it's freak out time, we freak out. Don't give your mind that kind of authority. Put God over your mind. If the Lord says he's given to you a spirit of confidence, it's there. What needs to happen to the believer? We spend so much time trying so hard to get our life in order. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Get your life in order to the degree that your life can be in order. But sometimes life is just disorderly. At that point, it's time to yield. In fact, we are, we are to walk in this. This is a, supposed to be the walking mentality of the believer. You yield to the power of the Spirit within you. You can't crank it up. You can't produce it. You can't talk yourself into it. All you can do is yield. The reservoir is there, and, if, and it's an infinite reservoir. The peace is there. The power is there. All you need to do is to take your mind and submit to him. Take your will and submit to him. Take your body and submit to him. And there you'll find the eruption of a fearlessness, a confidence in the middle of the storm. You don't know how it's all going to turn out. You don't have any guarantees. There's nothing that you can hold on to, but Christ inside of you is there and he is calm. And if you can identify with the calmness, instead of being totally absorbed by the, the frazzledness of the situation, you're going to find a calmness and a peace in the middle of the storm. And the beautiful thing is this. Amen. The beautiful thing is that you'll find that you are much better at resolving the issues of the storm when you operate out of a center of peace than you are when you let the storm define you. Because now you've got something to work with. You can just go up there and out of the center, out of the calmness, out of, out of your identification with Christ, out of the treasure that he's placed inside of you, you look at the situation and you say, yeah, you know what? This is really freaky. But you say it with a certain calmness, like, okay, let's, let's do it. Instead of this, <laughs> Oh, tell me you don't do that. <laughs> Point number one is that the supernat there's a, Christianity is a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural thing. Don't try to resolve everything in the natural. Yield to the supernatural presence of God within you. And you've got to be able to, you've got to know that it's there, have faith that it's there, and yield to him if you're ever going to walk in that. A second thing, a second thing, a very important thing is this. Paul, when he says that we haven't been given a spirit of fear... We haven't been given a spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've been given a spirit of, of adoption. He then says, whereby we know, because the Spirit testifies of this, we know that we shall reign with him. We don't have a spirit of fear because we know that we shall reign with him. And very frequently in the Bible, when it starts talking about joy and starts talking about peace and those kind of things, it quickly turns to a discussion about heaven. And here is the gist of the teaching. A believer can and ought to walk in fearlessness, a certain kind of abandon, because you know, or at least you ought to know, that this world is not the whole shot. In fact, this world is just a prelude to what is the whole shot. This world is but the shadow, and the reality is coming. The reality is the kingdom of God. We are in an embryonic stage and we shall be born into the kingdom of God. This life, this life, this 70 years or so, is but a flicker of, of a flame. It's but a blink of the eye. It's but a breeze of the wind. 
And it may seem like a long time now that we're in the middle of it, but ask yourself this, how much of, how much of your pre-birth life do you remember? When you were in the fetus? When, when, no, when you were a fetus, in the womb, when you were in the fetus. Um, you don't remember any of it. But at the time, I bet it seemed like this is the whole universe. That's why you're so afraid to come out. At least I was. I remember it was real traumatic. <laughs> haven't, you had, haven't you had your regressive memories back to that birth thing? Oh, no, the canal! Ah! <clears throat> there are people who claim they can remember that. Circumcision was really traumatic, but I want to go into that. <laughs> ah! <laughs> to this day, I get jitters when I see a knife. It's like, ooh. Don't go there. Where was I? Oh, yes. <laughs> the deal here is this. Believer. See, in the world, for non-believers, this is your only shot. This is it. This is it. You've got to live in fear. If you don't get happy this life, this is all there is. You lost it. If you don't fulfill your dreams, if you don't have the good marriage, if you don't have the great kids, if you don't get the great job, if you don't live in the nice house, there's nothing else coming. This is it. you got one shot, so be afraid. Strive, struggle, get worried. There you go. But the believer knows that that's not where it's at. The believer should know that We've got dreams that aren't meant to be fulfilled in this world. Your dreams will always outrun reality. The reason God gave us dreams is to make us long for the kingdom of God. Your dream of perfect love and your dream of a perfect house and your dream of a perfect body and your dream of perfect friends and whatnot, that will someday come true, even if it doesn't come true now. But it means this, you don't need to be clutching to everything now. We can live a little bit easy. We can live a little bit light. We can let go of things because we know that this is not where it's at. This is a prelude to the real thing. This is not the real thing. And that means you can live with a sense of confidence. It means you can live with a sense of fearlessness. So much fear and anxiety comes because people clutch on to stuff. I got to have this. I got to have this. If, if I lose this, then I lose everything. But believer, you know that the only thing about which that can be said is Jesus Christ. And if you've got Jesus Christ, you've really got everything in the long haul. So you don't need to be clutching on everything else. You don't need to be living in a state of perpetual fear. You know that however bad the score is, you come out winning. And if you knew that you were going to win this ball game, for sure, for sure, for sure, then even though you're down by 15 points at the end of the first quarter and 30 points at the end of the second and 55 points at the end of the third, you don't have a fear about it because you know that you come out as a winner. The unconditional promise of God is this. Hang on to Jesus Christ. Get your life from Jesus Christ, and you will reign with him throughout eternity. That's what God created us for. You'll live in the joy. You'll live in the peace, in the ecstasy of the love, the pure, undiluted, undying, unsurpassable love of the triune God. And if that is true, what really do we have to fear? Amen. Your worst case scenario is not that worst. <laughs> you know, um, I, I just recently, um, my, my family has kind of a history of, of, of getting skin cancer. We, we get that a lot. And I got this growth on my lip. And, and I thought, oh, great. It looks like, you know, skin cancer. Eddie, it's just not, I don't want a deformed face. It's hard enough preaching. You're not going to have to preach with a deformed face like Popeye. I was just thinking, I'm going to have to take oh, half my mouth. And I'll get there like, oh, hey there. And the word of God says to you, you know. But I didn't fear enough to go to the doctor about it. You know, it's like one of these things, ah, I'll take care of itself. Maybe it will go away. But here's the thing. That wasn't a happy thought. But then again, the worst case scenario is I die and go to heaven. You see, and so you don't need to get that worried about it. And it turns out it was just a big zit. 
Have you ever heard of a zit lasting five months? This is incredible. It's like a world record. Get it at the Guinness Book. What's the longest zit? Sarah, listen. It won't go away. I try to pop it, and all I do is make it redder and whiter. It's like, ah. See, well, praise the Lord, you know. But I know this. However bad this zit gets, it's going to go in heaven. Amen. No more zits in eternity. Woo! For the Bible says, he shall wipe away every tear from our eye, and he shall pop every whitehead, and they shall be no more. Well, you know, I, I, you were supposed to grow out of that when you were 15, weren't you? I, I, I'm 40 years old and I got acne. This is really bad. But the bottom line is this. You know, part of the problem is that we don't think about that enough. You get a problem, you got a worry, you got an anxiety. We tend to make that picture really, really big, and it's in our head, and we think about it. Financial failure, right there. It's a big 3D movie, it's panoramic, and we think about it, and we obsess on it, and we get worried and all bent out of shape. Just do this. That is not true. Take that financial worry, or the health worry, or whatever the worry is, back off a little bit and put it in the bigger context. See the big picture, and the big picture is this. After the catastrophe, whatever the catastrophe might be, there's eternal life with Jesus Christ. And, and you got to just per, back off and, 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 and telescope that thing into a smaller picture and see it against the eternal canvas of the kingdom of God. And you know what? You still think about that thing. You need to be cautious. You need to do something about that thing. But it doesn't define who you are. What defines who you are is who you are eternally. And who you are eternally is a child of God living in the kingdom of God. And that can make you fearless. Amen. It's so important how we think about things. Do not let the world define you. Let Jesus Christ and his destiny with you define you, and everything else gets put in perspective. See it from an eternal perspective. The third thing, and I close with, with, with this, is this. Knowing what is true about God, knowing what is true about the world, knowing what is true about us, knowing that can help us get a true perspective of things. And what I mean by that is this. What the problem with, 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 with obsessive worry and, and, comp and compulsive fearing, the problem with it is that we take a remote possibility and we treat it like an, like an, an inevitability. We take a remote possibility and we treat it like, an, like it was inevitable. It's very hard to say, but it's a true point. So, it's like this. There is a possibility, is there not? There's a possibility that there's a gas leak going on right now and someone's going to light up a cigarette as soon as we leave this place and the whole thing's going to explode and we'll die a fiery, nightmarish death, right? It's possible. It happens. But it's not very likely. So don't take that little possibility and, and start freaking out on it. It's possible that the next plane you get on is going to crash. But it's not that likely. And it's possible that your kids are going to get hit by a car tonight. But it's not very likely. So you think about it. You teach them how to look both ways. And you take ordinary, healthy precautions. But don't live in that fear. Don't let that fear define you. It's possible that your house is going to get broken into and some murder is going to ax you apart. It's possible. <laughs> well, you're laughing, but I bet you lock your doors, don't you? <laughs> it proves that it's possible. And so it's good to lock your doors. Honey, I'll... I agree with you. I just always forget to do it. But it's possible. But what happens is you take these possibilities. It's possible that you're going to get a germ and get sick, whatever. But when the possibility gets to be too huge, then it begins to define you. 
to see things correctly, you just need to understand this. You're a spirit being, and you have control of your mind. Do not let your mind tell you who you are. You tell your mind who you are. And when you find your mind making these possibilities bigger and bigger, the financial ruin, the kids' safety, or what have you, when that begins to define you, here's where you need to take authority. As a spirit being, take authority over your mind. The Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 that whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are beautiful, think on these things. And so just try this. When you find yourself going under a panic attack and a fear breaking out, just step back and say, no, I refuse to let that define me. I'm going to put that over here, and I'm going to think about the Word of God. I'm going to think about Jesus Christ. I'm going to think about heaven. I'm going to think about how, uh, how great my kids are. You get a, a truer perspective of reality. You don't forget about it and pretend like it's impossible because it is possible. So you take ordinary precautions, but don't let it define you. You need to have a true perspective of things. That's something you can decide to do. Now, it may be that you need a counselor to help you do that. If you have just habitually been obsessing on something, it's very hard for you to get a handle on that. And so I'd encourage you to talk to a counselor. Um, Al Larson has had a really good ministry on helping people out of phobias, irrational phobias. And I'd encourage, he's one of the counselors that we refer people to, Pat Rep and Daryl Rowlings are others. And, 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 and to sit down and help them reprogram that bad program that you got going on there. But just know this, it all comes down to taking authority over that. The second thing is this. The enemy, if he's got reserves available, he will pour life into those fears that we have. Little fears or things that are even maybe appropriate cautions. He will have spirits come and aggravate them. It is a real biblical truth that there are spirits that have assignments to cause fear. Because fear is a form of bondage and Satan loves bondage. Paul says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. So, while we do everything in the natural that we can do to take authority over our mind, over those worries, over those anxieties, over those panic attacks, do everything in the natural you can, at the same time, you've got to shoot in a spiritual direction. There are spirits that roam... Now, don't get fearful over this, okay? But there are spirits that latch on to things that we have and try to aggravate it, try to get us to obsess on stuff, try to get us to lose our joy and lose our peace and lose all of that. And we just got to know that. With perfect confidence and knowing the victory's already been won, you need to stand on the Word of God and come against that crap that the enemy throws on you. Just don't take it. Refuse it. It's a matter of standing on the authority of God's Word. And you say this, I will not accept this obsessive fear. I will not accept this anxiety. I will not accept that thought. Because in Jesus Christ, I know I've been set free. I know the truth, and the truth has set me free. So in Jesus' name, I come against any kind of principality. I come against any kind of power. I come against any kind of demon that has latched itself onto my brain and is trying to torment me right now. And in Jesus' name, I command you to leave. Amen. You've got the authority to do it. Do it. Don't let yourself be tyrannized by these spiritual germs that get in there and pollute your brain. You've got authority to come against it. Know that the power of God is within you. Point number one, know that this life is a prelude to the real show. Point number two, know that you as a spirit being have authority over your mind. And as a, as a believer, you've got authority over the devil. And in having that, you can go through life as an appropriate risk taker. And it, I think Christians should be adventuresome. Fun-loving, stepping out there, going for it, pushing the edge. Maybe once in a while you get burned, but you can pick yourself up and go on again. God's called us to live fully. And you can't live fully if you're in fear. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would set your people free here. On the authority of your word, I want to come against any kind of spiritual garbage that has been heaped on us. Lord, I want to come against memories right now that have maybe uh, 
anchored in someone's mind a fearful picture and it torments them. Lord, I pray for healing for that person. Lord, I pray that we could go out of here bold, courageous, adventuresome, risky, loving life, loving you, fearing nothing. But Lord, that comes from you. That's not us hyping ourselves up. That comes from you. So be glorified, Lord God, in the fearless way that we live, Lord God. Fan the spirit inside of us, Lord, to flush forth that fruit. I pray, Lord, for any who this morning need to come forward here, Lord, I pray that your spirit would pull them forward and they can receive the healing that they need. In Jesus' name. Sit for a second. Sit. Don't, don't move. Everyone be perfectly still. I want to say this. If you're here this morning, I just feel, really feel, I want to say this very clearly. And you don't know Jesus Christ. Someone's here this morning and doesn't know Jesus Christ. Maybe there's several of you. You need, to, you need to just receive him into your life. You can't get to first base unless you hit the ball. And, 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 and this, the game starts with accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This morning, there'll be, there'll, there'll be people up here who would love just to pray with you that simple prayer. Receive him as your Lord. Turn over the reins of your life to him. Let his love begin to pour into you. Let him save you and wash you free of your sins. This morning, I invite you to come forward as everyone else is dismissed and, and do that. There are others here who really have got that anxiety bug there, that fear bug there. Don't take it out with you. Be done with it. And I encourage you to come forward here and either pray on your own or pray with somebody else to get through this. You don't need to be there. The Lord's heart is for you to be free, to be free. Let's go out of here and carry the freedom of the gospel with us. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you.